Welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Your Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf, founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. I am delighted to have on the show today, Dr. Sharon Melnick, a leading expert on guiding leaders to be in their power and the author of the new book, In Your Power, React Less, Regain Control, Raise Others. So Sharon, welcome. I'm delighted to be with you. Thank you. What does it mean to be in your power and out of your power and also delve into what power looks like? Because I think for some folks, we can be powerful without being aggressive. And for other folks, the perception of power means pushy. Okay, well, why don't we start there? And then we can talk about what it means to be in your power. So when we think about power, we think about it as kind of a negative and manipulative and selfish and all of that. But to me, that's only the case when you're in power, but you're not in your power. You're not in your power, right? The word power comes from the Latin root passe, which means to be able. So when we're talking about being in your power, it means to be able. It means have the ability to kind of stay good in you, to stay aligned, to stay in your flow so that when you act, you act in a way that you actually get the outcome that you're going for, but not only that, but in a way that makes it better for everyone. We need to redefine power as a force for good. And then we get into gender power and what does power look like and how is it different between men and women? Because I can't show up in the same way at 5'3 as a six foot six man does who weighs, you know, three times what I do. My physical presence plays into my power and I have to do it differently. That's been everybody's experience, right? I mean, for sure there's physical power, right? And that's why we know that there, there can be violence and, you know, women, as you're definitely talking about, can be not as strong as men and that's dangerous for them. But I think especially when we're talking about power in the workplace or anywhere and anywhere, any dynamics in our lives, that it's not about brute force and it's not about kind of lording over other people or being loud. I think that this is the idea that we've had about power. And that's what makes women in particular uncomfortable with the idea, right? Like, I don't want to be that person. What we're going to be talking about today is that that's not really what it's about, right? Great. It's an ability that no matter what is going on around you to not react, to not take it personally or get sucked into it, but rather to be the one who holds the bigger picture vision of how things can be here between us or the outcome that we want to get for our company, for our community, or within our relationship, and to be the holder of that vision. And that actually gives you so much power because then you're kind of like setting the tone for other people. And that's actually a really good analogy for people to kind of get this idea of power is that many of us, as we go throughout the day, we go through like we're the thermometer and our circumstances or the way that other people are acting in response, we kind of our mental and emotional state, it goes up and it goes down and we react and we blame and we Mm -hmm. feel like we can't do anything about it. We're like the thermometer. And the way to think about power is be the thermostat. When you're the thermostat, you set the tone, you set the temperature. You decide who you are and how you view yourself. You have a vision and bring everyone else along in it so that you can make things better. 
And that is the opportunity that we're talking about. When you think about power that way, it's not scary or negative or aggressive. That's more like, yeah, that's who I want to be. That's more like, that's my purpose. I'm here to make a difference. I want to be able to do so unless burnout. I think about as you say that I was working with a steel company and that's where the physical stature thing comes in because I worked with people much bigger than me. But the person who seemed most powerful was a man of much smaller stature, so five, six and of slight build. Mm -hmm. But he had the deep voice and, you know, it just seemed like when he walked in the room, people snapped to attention and they paid attention. They engaged with him and he commanded the room. Yeah. It was that sense of vision. He knew what he was doing. He was highly competent. But he set the tone mm -hmm. for everything that followed. And it was always curious to me watching him that the size differential was so significant and yet it didn't matter at all. He was the one who people looked to. Yeah. And I think that's really powerful what you're saying. It's, it's about that presence. And, you know, something that's just kind of interesting these days, actually, is that we meet a lot of people over video conference, right? And you don't actually know what their size is. And sometimes, you know, like I've met people in person, I'm like, whoa, you're like 6'2", and I had no idea, you know, or, and I'm actually 5'2 myself. And a lot of people say to me like, whoa, I thought you were so much taller. So it is kind of funny when you say that, but I think that that's right. I think that there's a way of kind of holding the energy. There's also so many ways of having power that we're going to start to dig into in our discussion. And having that vision is one of them. And I think it's a very powerful position these days to be someone who's really effective at empathy, at really reading the room and really making people feel that you've heard them and that you understand where they're coming from. And then you can propose solutions that are kind of in the best interest of all. I think it's interesting that we're actually coming into new models of leadership. And I think that's the way that we can think about leadership these days. That's such a good point. We were in a conversation last night about a senior executive. He was of the school of you belittle people and you yell at people and, and you make them feel small. And that's how you get them to do what they need to do or what you think they need to do. As I'm listening to you and as I've had other conversations and all of our work suggests that that model that may or may not have worked, but that model, I believe, also is being replaced with a more empathetic, especially post-COVID. But if we look at employee engagement, I don't know that yelling and belittling people ever really worked. No, no, I don't think it ever really worked. But now it has really bottom line consequences. I mean, people are walking out the door. We know that leaders who are able to make people have a sense of belonging, that that's literally one of the greatest predictors of people's performance, as well as a, a sense of psychological safety. Women leaders are really often role models. Any person can be really empathic, but I think that we're seeing a lot of role models these days, both on the political, the world stage, as well as in companies, as well as maybe the person who's your, you know, manager or peer. I think you're right about that. I think there's a new sheriff in town. Can you give us an example of someone on the world stage or even someone in a TV show that's fairly common or walk us through an example of someone you know that really epitomizes both empathetic and still powerful? Because I think we still struggle with this perception that the one who comes in and draws the line and they're stern, that was what powerful looked like. And as we shift our mindsets, what does new look like? Yeah. 
just a recent example was the Prime Minister of New Zealand who stepped down recently. There was a lot of buzz about that. And what I understand about that in terms of being in her power is that she didn't make it about her and about her ego and needing to because she was in the role to kind of perpetuate the role, right? And to kind of accumulate power. She really, at least her public explanation for it, was that she really thought about the collective and what was best for the country and what was leadership that the country really needed right now. And so that was an example of not making it about her and instead being able to see the bigger picture and act for the bigger picture. And really, when you think about leadership, that's the thing that gives you the ultimate power is the ability to unlock lots of people's energies in the service of something that you're trying to create. You really can't do it yourself. And if you're doing it yourself, then you're not doing it as big as it could be. That's the way to look at it, actually, that like growing power in others grows your power. It's an interesting point because, again, I think of earlier in my career, I was in a consulting role and very oriented to growing the people underneath me. And the guidance at one point was, if you grow them too much, it will look like you're not necessary. Mm -hmm. I didn't heed the advice, but frankly, to my detriment. In that situation, it was detrimental. I, I stuck to my values. It is interesting, kind of the adage that you can't move up if you can't replace yourself. Of course, you have to grow the people below you. Yeah. This is an issue that's especially relevant for women leaders, like who might be offered next level opportunities, but they might be focused on loyalty to their team or wanting to make sure their team is okay. And that's an example, I think, of good leadership, right? Where just, you know, the kind of leader that we would all want, but also she has to think about the bigger picture, like what contribution could she make at the next level? Or if she was in a bigger role, she could set the tone or she could bring her leadership qualities. So it is true, like you, you're always having to balance your own concerns with the bigger picture there. But I think that's an interesting opportunity where you know, we always have the ability to kind of define what power means or really what's our best contribution in this situation. And maybe up until that point, taking care of her team and growing them was her highest and best leverage use. But at this point, and this is where she has to be able to see herself at the next level. And if she's not, then she's giving her power away, which we can talk about. That's a beautiful description. It, it perfectly mirrors one of my recent former clients. Former because she took the new role and stepped into a much bigger place. But it took her a long time to make peace with, quote, leaving behind people who had grown and no longer needed her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe we'll just double click on this idea of giving away your power because it's like really relevant for a lot of people. And so I talk about in my book, In Your Power, that there's three ways that we're not in our power. The first way is that we leak our power, like we focus on what we can't control. The second way is that we, we give our power away, right? When we kind of allow other people to define us. And the third way is when we overlook the power that we already have rather than own it. So we can go through each of these, but let's just start with the giving away your power because it's, uh, it's here now. Many of us have experienced this where we kind of look to other people in order to know how we're doing. Now, the thing is, is like there's constantly feedback and in any organization, you have to get things done through people. So it matters. You know what I mean? what people think about you in terms of your performance and your effectiveness. But I think that we confuse that sometimes with our own sense of worth. People can give you feedback about how you can do things better, but I think that we 
make it a referendum on our worth, like personally how we feel deep inside ourselves in our private moments. In order to be an effective leader, one who really raises others, you have to be in your power. So I'll say that differently is that when you're in your power, you can be a leader who raises others. But if you're concerned about what other people are thinking, or if you're protecting your reputation by not making tough calls, or if you're really focused on being a perfectionist and grinding in the details and not able to kind of see the bigger picture, then you're really depriving yourself of an opportunity to kind of be that leader that raises others. So I have an example in the book. I coached a, a woman who's a CHRO and she felt a lot of pressure as her organization was making a lot of changes, both during COVID as well as really trying to bring more of a sense of inclusion into the DNA of the organization. And she felt a lot of pressure like the CHRO and all eyes are on me and they have expectations and I have to prove myself. And it was like a lot of scrutiny. She would think about like, okay, I have to put together a PowerPoint and I have to like put it on the desk of the, you know, my executive team, like again, and, you know, I really have to, we're not making as much progress on these things as we should. It was, you could just hear like from my voice, the kind of pressure, you know what I mean? That was going on inside of her. We talked it through and actually we kind of trace that negative voice, that pressuring voice that she had kind of to its origin. We rooted it out at its source. And then she was much more free to say, you know something, some of these issues that we're tackling are really much more beyond like one person. And really the thing that I need to be doing, especially as it came to the DE&I issues and culture transformation is she said, I really need to bring this to our executive team and say, look at our numbers. You know, where else in our business are we tolerating this low of a result? And you know something? I'm taking a look at my own organization and, you know, the culture that I'm setting and the hiring and development choices that I'm making. And I really want to talk to us about what is the real issue here and what's making us uncomfortable and what is getting in the way. And I want to talk together about how we can create this culture that we want. So it was by taking off the pressure for her to like have the answers and put it in a PowerPoint and get it on the like corporate scoreboard metrics. And, you know, that actually she grew into a much bigger version where she started these authentic conversations and they really got to know each other and they kind of broke through the things that were holding them back. And that's what really enabled to roll out to the organization and each of the executives kind of took responsibility for their own vertical, et cetera. And so it's like, it's such a good example of that when you're not in your power, when you're, when you're tracking what other people think about you, when you're worried about what other people are thinking, when you're feeling that you need to prove yourself in a way that's not just about delivering good work, that really it's playing your small game. When you're in your power, you shift from that small game to your big game. That's a good example that she created something that was so beyond her own PowerPoint and whether her CEO thought she was doing a good job and living up to expectations. And she brought everyone together into real conversations that led to real transformation. When a leader is in their power, they raise everyone around them. I love that. I love the idea that even what she was delivering shifted dramatically yeah. from shifting PowerPoints to how do I make a bigger impact on the organization? It's a different conversation. Yeah, it so is. And actually, it was beyond even her imagination. You know what I mean? It's like when you don't go into it and kind of try to control, we all have to, you know, exert a, a lot of control and effectiveness. But I'm just saying when she didn't try to control the perception of her is what she let go of. And instead, she made it in the service of the work and the role that she could play in facilitating it. It was such a bigger and better outcome. And that's power. And we all have it. 
I love the closing to that. We all have it. As we're socialized, as we move through our careers, we do start with, here's the stuff you need to get done and you get it done. And moving from I control to I serve the mission, that's a huge pivot for, I think, everyone I've coached and including me. Because starting from school, you perform to the test, Mm -hmm. not to the vision necessarily. So shifting out of that mindset is big. That is such a good point. Yeah, to the test and not to the vision. And, you know, we've all been there, just like you said, Maureen. And, you know, I'll tell you, when I was earlier in my career, I attended a rock concert down in Washington, D.C. As the stadium was filling, I looked over to my left and there was a, a kind of a group of people. And there was one person who I recognized. It was Tipper Gore, who was wife of the then Vice President Al Gore, right? And she was like a champion for women's empowerment. And so without overthinking it, I went right over. I stuck out my hand and I said, hi, I'm Dr. Sharon Melnick. I do research at Harvard Medical School and I'm helping families, especially, you know, parents who have been from difficult childhoods to kind of overcome that, you know, not repeat those cycles, break those uh, intergenerational cycles so they can be confident and resilient, make the contribution that they're here for. So she's intrigued. We start to have a chance to talk. At a certain point in the conversation, she's into it and she turns to her chief of staff and she says, Melissa, would you get Dr. Melnick's contact information? We want to bring her down to the White House to share the policy implications of her research. So that was like pretty cool. I go home. I like, you know, write up something. I sent it off to them. I don't really think about it. Several weeks later, I'm like lacing up my sneaks to go for a run. And the phone rings. Melissa. And we start to have a chance to talk. And she tells me about like all the initiatives that Tipper is doing and how they're affecting all these like millions of families across the country. And I'm like, wow, that is so cool. You know, and, and I'm starting to like get excited about this. And at a certain point, she pops the question and she says, will you come down to the White House to share the policy implications of your research? So I picture myself around that table at the White House. And then I said, no. Well, I didn't exactly say no. I said, well, we're still figuring out the research and let me get back to you. But essentially, I said no to the White House. Now, why did I do that? Because I pictured myself around that table at the White House and I thought, they're going to think I'm not smart enough and I don't know enough to contribute to these policy recommendations. So I prioritized my own evaluation of myself over the contribution that I could have made for millions of people. In other words, I gave away my power. A lot of us do this, you know, as we go throughout our lives and probably everyone has some sort of a Tipper Gore story of where you didn't go for it. But one of the things about being in your power is that you want to have a sense of sovereignty over yourself. You want to decide what you believe about yourself and not give away your power trying to monitor other people's perceptions of you and what they think about you. Because that's, I think you see a lot of mistakes by leaders in the workplace when they're trying to please or get approval by certain people. What I did was I was trying to prevent disapproval (laughs) by the people around the table. Or by being so concerned about disappointing expectations or needing to control other people's perceptions of you that you really grind on the work, grind your people, you know, not able to kind of see the bigger picture. It kind of comes from just an insecurity. That's like where it comes from. I didn't, you know, believe in myself. And it really affects leaders' behaviors. Like I was coaching a a president of a company and he brought in someone to do some culture transformation. And this younger guy was like kicking it out of the park and doing a fantastic job. And this president started to get threatened. 
he was tempted to sabotage the efforts. But then when we talked it through, he realized from his small game to his big game, like, actually, this guy's making me look good. And now he's freeing me up to do these other strategic priorities for the organization. And then he was able to like come back to himself and kind of own it and enjoy it again and not be in the sense of threat. So really, that's the mark of a leader to be in their power and to not make it about their momentary personalized concerns, but about the opportunity for the organization. Let's go back to your Tipper Gore story. Yeah. My guess is if Jill Biden called you right now, <laughs> you would say yes. What's changed? OMG, I'm so there. And actually, I did have a chance to present <laughs> at the White House under the Obama administration. So sometimes you get a second chance. And I think it's a good lesson, actually, when you're in your power, you magnetize opportunities to you that, you know what I mean, you may have sabotaged along the way. I love that question. How fun. I would talk about being in your power, especially because these days, many of us feel out of our power somewhere in our lives. Many of us in our work you know, life, but it could be in our personal life as well, where you just feel how the other person is acting or the circumstances is determining how you feel inside of yourself and how things unfold for you. You know, you feel more like the casualty than the creator in the situation. And then there you are just feeling not seen, not heard. You can't make the impact that you're here for. And so I think this is going on in our individual lives, but I think we feel this in our country, where it's people who don't share political views, we feel this between countries. If you're in a culture where you don't feel like it's one that's you know fair to you or you don't have the opportunity that you'd like to have. So that's what I would be talking about. And we all know that we're in our power when we get there. Like we have those racing thoughts. You're in that mental swirl. They shouldn't be doing this. I'm angry or I'm blaming or I don't want to feel this way or why don't they do it differently or they should or whatever. I mean, we're all like, you know, off to the races with it. You get emotionally hijacked. And here's the key. The way that you try to make the situation better usually makes it worse. And you can start to show up as like a diminished version of yourself. And then you're not being the leader who you can be. You're not setting the culture. You're not being that thermostat. You're being the thermometer. So that's why it's really so important to be in your power because once in your power, the way that you approach the situation can actually make it better. And again, not only for you, but for everyone around you. When you're in your power, that's when you shift the power dynamic. You know, I think of a situation years ago, I was invited to speak to the governor and his cabinet. He had just gotten elected. He was the opposite party as me. Mm -hmm. He was a bit intimidating. He was one of those not physically large stature, but large personality and very present. And they started about a half hour late. So I was just sitting there. And the longer I sat, it was like an Alice in Wonderland kind of, I just got smaller <laughs> sitting in the room. And by the end, I was like a Lilliputian or something. What I was happy about was as I went in, I was able to turn back to normal size. I yeah. didn't walk in as someone from Gulliver's Travels. Yeah. But it took a lot of self-talk to turn into an adult again, not this, you know, meek little kid that was like, boys, aren't I lucky to be here? Because to your point, as soon as I go into little girl mode, I've lost any credibility that I would have in that room. OMG. I have so many stories we could share on this for sure. 
I was coaching a woman yesterday who's CEO of an organization and she has a new board chair. This is a person, a man who who is in this position and is kind of questioning her and doesn't come to meetings and then decisions are made and then he tries to undo them. I mean, we've sure, I'm sure we've all had colleagues, you know, along the way who someone like this. And as we were talking about it, you could just see that she was seething, you know what I mean? As even like, as she was just like clenched and, you know, you could just imagine her sitting there in that meeting. I'm sure we've all been in those meetings where, you know, you just feel aggravated and done to and why are they not respecting my authority or, you know, whatever the thing is. We see this so often. We feel dismissed or somebody else takes our idea and doesn't give us credit or were questioned. I mean, it's just, and especially for women, this is an everyday occurrence, death by a thousand cuts. It's like a constant, repeated experience. Now, all of us can feel this way in the workplace when other people have competing agendas and, you know, you can't, you can't be heard, but women especially feel very angry. Like, I'm just going to say it and very resentful. That's not good for anyone, right? That's just going to lead to wear and tear and getting sick having health conditions, she started to feel like a diminished version of herself. She was overlooking the power that she had in that situation. She can bring everyone along in it. She doesn't necessarily have to be aggravated. She's bringing a lot of accumulation of things into that moment. Their past history, her being a woman and, you know, feeling questioned and all those kinds of things. But rather than be aggravated, it could be so different if she bought playfulness. So they were talking about whether to do their conference in person or hybrid. There were factors or whatever. And um, he said, we need to do this in person. She had the opportunity to say something much more like raising the tone, like, I love your passion for doing this in person. Like, me too. You know, we're surveying some of our top leaders and we're seeing what the result is. And I have fingers crossed too. Hmm. Let's wait for the data. But that could be so playful and like, love your passion on this as opposed to steam coming out of her ears. What did she need to change in her thinking or her mindset to get her there? Because I love the examples, and yet I assume many of our people listening are saying, that's great, how do I do it? In my book, In Your Power, I have a number of exercises that are relevant to this. And one of the things that is really important is you want to shift from being reactive to being intentional. It's really, it was really important for her to have already articulated who did she want to show up as in this situation. That's a really good kind of line of questioning to ask yourself in any situation where you're reacting, I would say first question to ask is, what is the outcome that I want in this situation? And we can take that from good to great, not only what's the outcome, but what's the outcome that's in the best interest of all? And so that immediately shifted her whole, like I'm pissed at him to, okay, like what are we trying to accomplish here? And then right on the heels of it, and who do I need to show up as? in the service of bringing everyone toward that, of being the thermostat. And so we had already done this exercise. This is just her. I mean, everyone is going to have their own, I call this your horizon point, that kind of focal point. But for her, it was calm, confident leader. She's like, that's who I want to show up as. And when I show up as her, I'm able to kind of set that tone. So it was like, okay, how do I have to think about this? Or what would a calm, confident leader do in this situation? And we had already done things where she knew how to embody that. She knew how to show up. Another thing that she needed to do is that she needed to change the story that she was telling about his behavior. Because if she thinks that he's trying to undermine her, she's right there. You know, she's right in reaction zone. 
But if she could see that actually whatever it was, so maybe he legitimately did miss talking about this at the meeting. That's another issue that she has to deal with, but maybe he wasn't aware that the survey was in process. Maybe he has experience with this actually at other conferences and he, he really does have a passion around this. Maybe he had already talked to people who have given him this insider insight that this is what they want or whatever, but any of these are fact-based they're about the actual context. They're not bringing in years of like dealing with this guy and or other or other people who undermined her and all her own stuff. It's just like being really objective about the story and telling a story that's in the service of that horizon point who she wants to show up as. And actually, there's a whole chapter in the book about how you figure out who that is for you. So have at it. I love that. So let me repeat it back. What's your intention for the best outcome for the largest number of participants? Yes. So best outcome for all beings is my phrase for that. That's your power. And then who do I show up as to create that positive outcome? Yes. I had a conversation with someone recently and I said, you know, what's the best outcome for all beings? And what she came back with is, I don't care about all beings. I want the best outcome for me. Mm -hmm which was such a disappointment. It was someone I was working with longer term. Later on, she did something that didn't work. And I said, so let's go back to the best outcome for all beings. This is what happens when you're looking for the best outcome for you because you got the best outcome for you and you significantly hurt someone. Yeah. And that wasn't your intention. If it's the best outcome for all, it's not all but you. It's really, how do I be my best self? That's what everyone wants these days is to be their best self. And look, it's important what you're saying because you really want to have nuance. Sometimes you need to set a boundary and you need to do it for you. It may have implication for other people. Even there, you could think about it as you preserving yourself. Like if you own your value, when you own your value, then you taking care of you actually is for the greater good. It may not be in that particular moment. And sometimes you do have to do what's best for you. You know, I mean, it's, it's, there's points in our lives when, you know, you, you just have to kind of take care of yourself. But I think if we're talking about leadership on the whole, we're talking about that, that that's the idea of a leader. You know what I mean? Is to, to be able to kind of get a, an outcome from many people or more than one person, you know, in the service of a greater good that is your job. Yeah, I may be being a little naive, but my sense is if I'm doing what's in the best outcome for all, that includes me. And there are times, to your point, that I'm going to say, no, I can't do that, or I can't do it now, or I can't do it that way. And it preserves the relationship. It builds trust. Yes, someone may not get what they want, but yeah, welcome to the world. We don't always get what we want. So part of also me being in my power is taking care of myself so that I can show up tomorrow and do what we need to have done. Yeah, I think that's so right. Let me just extend that to say a thing or two about burnout because, you know, it's just like so prevalent these days. So many people are just burned out. The way that we've been thinking about burnout is that it's about too much to do and, you know, and not enough time. But like, it's like the too much to do-ness. Anytime you talk about burnout, people are like, oh, I have this and then this and then my parent is sick and then I have to do this. And, you know, when you have too much to do, it overtaxes your circuits. So that's real. But I think the way that we need to understand burnout today is that it's not only about too much to do, but it's about too little power. Mm. If you think about what's really burning people out these days, it's that they don't feel seen and they don't feel heard and they can't make the impact that they're here for. And so when you think about people who are leaving 
look, some people are just leaving because it's just too much and it's, it's not what they bargained for and they want to go be a nomad. So whatever, you know, that's a new generational cultural like thing that we think is possible for us now. So there, you know, there's some things that about that are true. But I think a lot of people, and especially we're seeing this exodus of uh, senior women executives, they're fed up. They just don't feel heard and they don't feel that the culture is sort of reflecting their values. When you have too little power, that is the accelerant. That is the fast track to burnout. You spin and in your mind and you over and over, you grind on things and you get emotionally hijacked. And then you try, you know, I said something, but it didn't work. And even though you might have been able to say it more effectively, so it may be that there's still opportunity, but whatever, that's just the feeling that people have. I think that's really a pervasive cause of burnout these days. And that's why when Jill Biden invites me back to the White House, <laughs> I will talk about being in your power because that's what's actually going to help us to be more effective and to solve a lot of the challenges that we have. One of the things I talk about a lot more now is I still manage my time. I go to meetings like everyone else and my calendar is crazy. So is everyone else's. But there are days when I feel good because I'm managing my energy. Yes. And there are days where I don't feel good. And that seems to correlate. I can spend way too much energy on a little thing. And then I have a conversation like this, and I'm going to feel energized, even though we spend an hour and a half. Something else I could do, I could spend 10 minutes on it, and I'd feel like I'd been run over by a trot. <laughs> so true. <laughs> so it seems like the connection to power is really that link that's missing for me. I so appreciate you getting this because I think that that's right. I think when you're in your power, you have like a renewable source of energy and you create like a virtuous cycle. You know, just like you're saying, we're like feeding off of each other now. And we're like, yeah, and that makes, you know, me excited and you, you're giving me energy. And mm -hmm. my book, In Your Power, it's, you know, the first half of it is about how to be in your power, stay in your power, get back in your power. And then the second half of the book is about how to use your power, you know, for the good of all. When you know how to stay in your flow, and then when you know how to use your power in a way that makes it better for everyone, that's what you want. Use your energy to making a difference, and then that's when you get that virtuous cycle and that renewable energy, not only for you, but people on your team, like everybody kind of feeds off of one another. And I think that's what we want these days. Yeah. So you started with best outcome for all, and then who do I need to be to make that happen? And then I would extend that to who do I surround myself with? Who do I let go of? The stories, what am I telling myself? Who amplifies the good ones? Who amplifies the you're not competent ones? Mm -hmm. Cultivating the garden, cultivating my life. So over time, I have more people who tell me the story that reinforces the impact I can make. So for you, who told you the story that said, of course, you should be at the White House? Versus, you know, that old version of yourself that was five years old that said, I'm not smart enough to do that. Yeah, totally. But, you know, it was also that I didn't make it about me. I think that's the important shift. I shifted my question from like, well, who am I to like advise the White House? And I, I shifted it to like, who can benefit from me sharing what I know about? You know what I mean? And what I've seen work. And I, I think that that's really important is that I didn't make it subjective. I made it objective. I just made it about like, what's the impact that I can make here? I want my life to be about that. So that was the shift for me. And I just, I just stay there. That's very relevant for a lot of people because I think a lot of us in the workplace are, are holding ourselves back. Like, well, who am I to put time on the calendar with that senior person? 
you know what I mean? Why would they want to talk to me or whatever? And and I would change that to like, what's a project that you could work on that would be value add to the organization that that person would really want to give their input into and want to know about and support you? So let's shift to that part of your book. How do people shift from it's not about me to what is the big impact? Many of us from growing up, we develop a conviction about ourselves. We have a belief about ourselves. When you have a doubt about yourself, you look to other people in order to know how to feel about yourself or whether you're enough, let's just say. Uh That's really setting yourself up to not be in your power. It's giving your power away. That's something is that many of us are kind of walking around with kindling inside of us of some doubt that we have about ourselves or criticism or feeling that we don't matter or we're not worthy. So I was doing this coaching group that's uh, helping mid-career professionals get to the next level. And they were giving examples of they tried to bring up an idea and it was dismissed or somebody else took credit for their work or they, they were questioned, et cetera. And what happens in those situations is, you know, we're meaning making machines. So we have to explain why that happens to ourselves, right? In order to know how to act. And so usually what's happening for many of us, I mean, really, this is kind of universal, is that the story that we tell about it is they don't think my work is valuable. They don't respect me. They're being territorial or whatever, any variation, you know, on these themes. What does it mean about them? It means that I'm not worthy. You know, there's that kindling, right? So we have this kindling inside of us and other people's actions are like a match that like activates, you know, when we react, it's a reactivation of this kindling inside of us. So I think this is the personal hook that can take us out of our power. And so this is really a very powerful and almost immediate way of kind of being able to get back in your power, right, is to really look at the situation more for like the act, like why did they actually interrupt you? And or what might they be trying to, you know, kind of communicate? Or maybe this has everything to do with their own limitations and really nothing personal to do with you. So I think to be able to tell a narrative that's really in the service of you showing up at that horizon point and also to kind of take it on, you know what I mean? To know like if this is this is a repeated pattern, this kind of keeps coming up as a theme, then to really do the kind of work that you can do to change that narrative at, at root cause, to trace that, you know, voice to its origin, root it out at root cause. Then you're airtight. You're no longer like leaking your power. You know, you no longer have to control other people and what they think about you because um, you no longer have to react because you're the one who's defining the narrative. You're not looking to them. And then you can be curious about their feedback, like how can I do the work more effectively? You're making it about the work and you're not making it about you. My assumption is as we weed out those personal stories that are sabotaging us, that we can actually become significantly more productive Because think about how much time a typical person spends a day responding to the story that's in their head, not out in the world, and the lost productivity that happens because of that story. Oh, my gosh. Can we invent something that could actually track that? Because it would be many minutes, many hours, probably a day. And then for sure, if you're in a situation where you react, then you're definitely rehashing it the rest of the day and into the night and maybe for a few days. And then on top of that, adrenaline, the cortisol, the chemicals in my body that throw me into the exhaustion. I can't manage my energy because I've just flooded my entire body with 
toxic chemicals, just like if I run someone over on the street, I'm going to flood with chemicals. There I should. But I'm telling myself some ridiculous story about how incompetent I am. Now I will be less productive, less thoughtful for hours. So true. So true. For days, decades. (laughs) You want to know something that's really mind-blowing? We never think about this. So I'm making up a story about what you did, and you're making up a story about what I did, and then what's getting played out in any organization or family or team is the intersection of the fiction that I make up about the fact and the fiction that you make up about facts. Our stories are just colliding. And how do we get anything done? It's amazing we have not extinguished ourselves at some point, given that all of us make up stories. All of us have a past. There's some stuff to clean up. I got held up at gunpoint in a hair salon. Mm. I thought the guy coming in with the gun was joking because he looked like my brother. I mean, I thought he was a jerk, but I didn't think that I was clearly in danger because I just thought this is something my brother would do. It's just dumb, but not criminal. Turns out he actually was a criminal holding a gun at my face. Oh my gosh. That story may have saved my life. Can you imagine being held up at gunpoint and thinking it's not real? Because here's the made-up story I had. Wow. That could have been dangerous. What an incredible story. And yet, wow, the power of story. Change your life. Wow, save your life. Wow. But just to illuminate, we go through our whole day, as you've said, little versions of that or big versions of that. And this is where, again, you know, we're just starting to refer to some of the ways that we have power that we're overlooking. You have the power to tell a constructive story. That makes you the thermostat. Where everyone else is freaking out and being reactive, you can be the adult in the room. Mm-hmm. And you can say like, okay, wait, let, let's figure this out. Maybe we're coming in with different assumptions. Let's see if we can um, kind of take a step back. And you can have a very neutral tone. Can you help me understand where you're coming from on this? And then I'd love to be able to share with you what my perspective is on this. And then let's see what we can find to come up with better problem solving on this. That is so neutral. That is so like raising the whole vibration, if you will, of that situation. But most of the time, we just have that kind of personalized reaction. And then we live in that. We totally deprive ourselves of an opportunity to come up with a better solution. And I do think a leader creates the weather on the team. The leader has the power to set the tone to let people know the kind of values or the kind of culture that we want here. The leader has the power to role model, doing this kind of more understanding, more neutral. These are the things that we're finding. I mean, even, you know, that Google study of what's the biggest factor in team performance a couple of years ago, they said psychological safety. So we know that these quote unquote soft skills have hard bottom line results in terms of productivity and profit. We focused all on how do I gain power? How do I relate to power? What if I'm working with someone who's just abusive of their power? Mm -hmm. How do I navigate the abuse, stay in my own power, and hopefully help them also come back to a more effective use of the power they have? You cannot change them right up front. So I'm a psychologist by training. I'm a business psychologist and executive coach. So (laughs) you do not want to try to change someone who is abusing their power. 
you can try, but don't have a high expectation of them actually changing their psychology and biology of however many decades they've been in this. And I say that because it's important that you're going to really leak your power if you try to change somebody who is so entrenched in an abusive pattern. But there are ways that you can direct or protect yourself, you know, in the situation. So let's talk about those things, okay? I'll go over um, kind of one thing you can do to protect and one thing you can do to direct. You definitely want to be setting boundaries to protect yourself with somebody who is abusive. And what's going to happen is they're going to trample right all over your boundaries because they're all about them and they don't see your needs, right? That's, that's what makes them abusive. There is a whole section of the book about how to protect yourself from a narcissist. So run out and get in your power for yourselves so you can learn these strategies. But really, you need to go beyond boundaries and you need to put up barriers. You really need to protect yourself. You need to kind of try to limit contact where possible. One thing that you definitely need to do to preserve your emotional energy, like we're talking about, is you definitely want to not engage emotionally. The best metaphor that you can aspire to is to be a gray rock. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. Whatever. Yes. On it. No emotion. Like a gray rock, there's no hooks. There's nowhere to get your claws in. Very slippery. It's very flat. Do your best imitation of a disengaged teenager. Like, whatevs. You know what I mean? Like, just don't even. Like, don't even go there. Uh-huh. Yeah, whatever. And you just have to not engage. Like, get the directions that you might need from them in order to, like, do your work but you're not going to set yourself up and open your heart to try to change them? No. So you just have to limit your engagement and, and kind of just be very flat and robotic in your engagement. That's really the best way to interact, to protect yourself from someone like that. We just feel so powerless to get what we need. I worked with a woman at one of the big, um, like a Fortune 10 company. She said to me, this was actually a few years ago, and she said to me, I'm in sales and I've been asking the head of our group for a number of things to support me and get good assignments and, you know, support me in my sales role. And he just always says no. And she said, you know, when he gives the plum assignments to the men, of course, this was an exemplar company who's won all kinds of awards on gender inclusion. She said, help me get what I need or probably just help me leave. I said, let's give it one more shot and let's see if you can ask and this time get a yes. So she she's like, He's narcissistic. He manages up. He doesn't care about me. We've all been there. She's like, look, I've asked. I've asked for six years. I said, tell me about your boss. She's telling me all this. And, and the thing is, is that where someone has a motivation, you can leverage it. But she wasn't leveraging it, right? So she was going in there sort of saying, I need this, totally not unlocking his energy in the service of what she's asking. So we script out the whole thing and she goes back to him. This time she makes an ask. She asks in terms of like, how it's going to make him look good, essentially. Maybe not the, that, those words, but like that was the idea, like how it's going to make him look good because that's what he cared about. That's where his energy was flowing to. And it was so fun. I mean, she like emails me a couple of days later. She's like, I got everything I wanted and more. I was on such a roll. I asked for another thing. You know what I mean? And she stayed with the organization and she made the biggest enterprise-wide deal of her career. She put $100,000 in her pocket within three months and she was promoted. So now she gets to say who gets the plum assignments is a good example. She used her power. You know what I mean? She owned her power. She was effective. She turned a no into a yes. And then she was able to use her power for good. So this is an example of how you could direct the energies of someone who is abusive when you know how to align. Don't ask. 
align with them. We are able to come into alignment with someone, understand what that greater purpose is, and know who I need to be in that moment Mm -hmm. to get a yes, help the company, help that person, help our clients, and help myself. Yeah, everyone can win. And that's the whole idea of power, actually, right? Is it like to be good in you and to make it better for everyone else? When you, as a leader, are in your power, you raise everyone around you. Sharon, thank you. So Dr. Sharon Melnick, and her book is In Your Power, React Less, Regain Control, Raise Others. I am going to go out and buy, maybe don't go out now that I buy things online, but I will be purchasing your book and sharing it with people on my team. Fantastic. Thank you so much. So fun. And you so get it. You're so insightful. So readers can go over to www.inyourpowerbook.com, inyourpowerbook.com. And it's really good to go there just before or just after you purchase the book because there's all manner of book resources that you can download for yourself. Like one quick exercise that you could do, I have a download there where one, you could take a quick assessment. You can know if you're in your power. And another thing is I have a chart there where you could chart as you go through a day, what hours of the day were you in your power? When were you not in your power? And that's like super useful. To, and then you can like see like, whoa, I'm in my power in these situations, not in my power in these situations, you know, very helpful. I also have things like playlists for when you're out of your power, songs that immediately put you back in your power. And I love that you're going to get this for your team. I'm definitely hearing leaders reading passages or doing book clubs with their teams. If I can be a resource for you as an executive coach, you can find me at SharonMelnick.com. Thank you, Sharon. And to our listeners, I hope you also took away things that will be useful male or female, because we've talked largely about women, but we also know that men struggle in their own ways with power. If you're, if you're human, you can get kicked out of your power and you can get back in your power. 